Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple makers. I'm Paul Watson, and you're listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash faithworks, or just click on the link in the description. To those of you who already support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women just like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. Um, I am super excited to be able to talk with you today. I know it's been a while since you and I have had a chance to talk. There's been a lot going on with Contagious Disciple Making recently. And I know you're looking forward to having Rebecca back with us. She's in the process of moving. And so I'm slipping in for her today. And uh, we are looking forward to being able to join you together and bring you some more new content. Today, one of the things I want to talk to you about is the idea of two um, counterintuitives that revolve around um, leadership development. Okay, within um, Contagious Disciple Making, we have a list of counterintuitives that we teach as part of our class. And I just taught the class today that deals with counterintuitives. And there were two that really stuck out to me today that I want to address around, like I said, around the idea of leadership development. The first is leadership development among lost people. You see, leadership development with people who don't know Jesus begins the moment we open the Bible because we recognize this truth that we express in a counterintuitive. And that truth is this, a novice insider is more effective than a highly trained, mature outsider. A novice insider is more effective than a highly trained, mature outsider. Okay, and so when in respects to a lost person, what does this mean? Well, you know, when I'm working with someone in a new culture, I'm the outsider, they're the insider, okay? And they, they, they don't have to learn the culture because they live the culture. And so they're already in a position to be more effective. This is most obvious when we're talking about a culture that speaks a language that is very different from mine, you know, where the novice insider already knows the language, already knows how to dress, already knows how to eat in polite ways, already knows what to do and what not to do in certain circumstances. So a novice insider is going to be more effective at reaching people within that culture than I will be. Now, that's when we're talking about foreign cultures, cultures that are very different, languages that are very different from my own. But that even works within the United States. For example, you know, I appreciate football. I have seen football games. I even love Super Bowl parties. But I never played football. I never played it. And I don't understand all of the rules. I don't know all the stats. And I definitely don't know all of the language. And so it wouldn't take very long for me to walk into a room of football fans or a community of people that have surrounded themselves around or organized themselves around football for them to realize that I was an outsider. So if I wanted to reach a Super Bowl team 
or even a local flag football team with the gospel, you know, engage them, help them fall in love with Jesus. It would take a lot of work to me to get to a point where I could do that effectively. And because I, God made me to be a small 5'9", 165 pound man, I probably would get smashed. And it wouldn't be fun for anyone except for those looking on. And, uh, and so I would not be the most effective at engaging that people group. However, if I found another believer or at least a lost person interested in being in relationship with me and I end up discipling them and they turn around and then they can engage all of their teammates, all of their teammates' families without being perceived as some weird guy who's trying to be something he's not and often messes up when he's talking about what a wide receiver is and a tight end. Okay? So in that particular case, although we may speak the same language, may even be from the same town, that novice insider who doesn't know anything about discipling or disciple-making would be more effective than me. Now, I have a role... I have a role in engaging them. I have a role in discipling them. I have a role in helping them grow. But then they're going to turn around and they are going to multiply within their community and they'll build more fruit faster than I ever will. Okay? So a novice insider is more effective than a highly mature uh, outsider. And so we need to build our understanding of leadership development from that angle. Because if I make everything centered around me, then I will continually be robbing those novice insiders from opportunities to grow in their relationship with Christ to grow and to grow as leaders. And I may be hobbling their ability to reach the people that God has ordained them to reach. Because I'm the one pulling the leash. I'm the one that has to be the center of everything. I'm the one that has to be asked before anything can happen. And so when I'm engaging people who don't know Jesus, I want to find those insiders. I want to invest deeply in the relationship. And I want them to lead the Discovery Bible studies, if not from day one, certainly by day two. Because once again, they'll be more effective than I will. And so it changes everything about what I can do. And, and I, by putting that ball in their hands, it allows them to grow, to become more faithful, more responsible over time to a point. And the goal is always to grow to a point where they no longer need my constant influence in order to keep the ball moving forward to grow to a point where they can take their own initiative in reaching their own people and even get to a point where they can cross over into reaching other peoples who are less like them. So that's one of the strategic elements, or I'm sorry, counterintuitives that, uh, that I was talking about this morning. And that one's specifically dealing with people who don't know Jesus. Um, I can be, like I said, a highly trained, uh, I'm a highly trained cross-cultural worker. I'm, I'm good at what I do. But I love the fact that I can come at it with this level of humility that I'm not, gonna, I'm not the one that has to be the center of everything or is going to be the savior of everything. Okay? 
It's not my job to be the hero in the story that God is writing about his work to redeem their culture. They're the hero, and he is working through them. And I'm serving both them and God by understanding my role in helping nurture and helping disciple and helping empower, but letting them carry the ball and learn and grow in the process. Okay, does that make sense? I'm hoping it does. And, uh, and, and I hope you see the benefits of that. It also means that I'm building a disciple-making uh, process that isn't dependent upon me and therefore protecting me from burnout and protecting the movement from my burnout, if that ever happens, or protecting the movement from the fact that I could get sick, that I could lose funding, that I could lose my visa if I was working in that country or among those people. Or I may have a family member get ill and I have to go take care of them. If I build everything when it, in regards to engaging the lost community around me and it requires me to be there, then it's a highly fragile system that is destined to fail because I am human living in a broken, fallen world. And I need to be smarter than that if I'm going to see a movement happen. Okay. The second one of the um, strategic elements that I want to, to share with you today is that is really in regards to working with believers and equipping them to be a part of making movements. You see, uh, here's, the, here's the element. We need to equip everyday believers to make disciples rather than trying to discover the next super Christian leader. Equip everyday believers to make disciples rather than try to discover the next super Christian leader. So think about this with me. How many Rick Warrens are there in the world right now? Well, one. Okay. And how many people can he reach? Well, man, he has and it directly through his church. You know, I think what it's a couple of hundred thousand. And then if we look at his books and stuff like that, it's a lot of people. However, there are far more people in this world that have the ability to reach five to 10 people than there are who are like Rick Warren have the ability to reach 200,000 people. And if you aggregate the total number of people that can reach five to 10 people versus the total number of people who can reach 200,000 by themselves and through their ministries, there are far more people that will be reached by those who can reach five to 10 people than will be those who can reach 200,000 if you put all of their collected effort together, okay? And so rather than looking for and creating systems to find the super Christian, the next Rick Warren, you know, the next charismatic leader, and I, I'm speaking of personality type, not denomination, uh, by by if by you know putting energy into those systems to find it, we end up shoving off to the side a lot of people that don't fit the bill. Myself, I think, included, to be honest. Okay, so what do we do? Well, when we go back to look at how Jesus selected leaders, he didn't select people who seemed to be that great at being leaders. 
at least not at first. You know, when when the Pharisees are talking about about the uh, the apostles in the book of Acts, they say they marveled because these were unschooled, ordinary men. And I don't know if any of the apostles would have ever passed a current church planter assessment and been chosen for the role that God himself chose them to fill and ordained for them to fill. Okay? Now, I understand church planter assessments. I understand that they're there. I don't like them, um, but I understand why they're there. But when we're looking at starting disciple-making movements, we can't assess every leader like that that comes our way because it doesn't make sense and it's just not biblical. Because we're assessing often the wrong things. We're often assessing the wrong things. That's, I mean what I say. Uh, we assess their ability to present on stage, people's abil- desire to want to follow them. But are we assessing godliness? Are we assessing obedience? You know, what, what are we really measuring? And so what I look for when it comes to leadership is I look for is the person sitting across from me now doing their best to obey all of the things they know about God in their life right now? And are they growing and as a result of their obedience, bearing fruit in accordance to what they know? And if they're learning and if they're obeying and they're willing to try and they're willing to fail and they're willing to get up again and try again, then they may not be someone I would ever pick to speak on stage or even lead an organization but they may be exactly the person that God wants to start a movement with. One of my favorite stories that really drives this point home for me is a story of Papu. Uh, Papu was, um, it, it, let me back up a little bit. In India, there are um, a group of children that are abandoned. Uh, they're often abandoned in two places. They're abandoned in railway stations or they're abandoned on trash piles. I mean, huge trash piles. They're just thrown there because the families that they're born to um, didn't have the resources to be able to feed everyone in the family. And this was just another mouth to feed. And the culture didn't have a understanding that every child is precious. And so they would sit there and they would just, you know, throw them on the trash heap or abandon them in the railway thing. And Papu was one of these children. And what has happened is, is that these children are then found by other children who are also abandoned and somehow miraculously survived. And then they're raised in that environment. It's incredibly abusive. It's very hard. It's a lot like Lord of the Flies type stuff. And they're, they're you know, they get beaten and kicked and, and raped and stolen. I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's a bad situation. And Papu was one of these kids who was thrown on the trash heap. So you can imagine, you know, his clothes come from the trash heap. And he would sit there all day long and be what we would call a rag picker. He would pick through the trash heap to find things that he could then restore in some way, clean up in some way, reuse in some way, and then sell to anyone for a few paisa, less than a few cents, in order to buy the food that he needs. Now, the, the ministry in India would find children like these and help them and create space for them and programs for them and educate them and clean them up. And Papu came to know Jesus through one of these things. 
Now, he was uneducated because nobody invests in these children to educate them. But Papu began to sit in the back of disciple-making trainings. It's pretty cool. And he began to listen, and, and he would sit there and he'd think about things. He'd occasionally ask a question or two of someone. And, and you know, Papu, he didn't smell the greatest because he lived under trash heap. He was malnourished. He wasn't anyone that anyone would have picked out as a leader. And one day, Papu started pestering the leadership there in the compound, saying, hey, I want you to see my work. I want you to see my Bible studies. And because of Papu, and because, you know, no one thought he'd actually really done anything, he was kind of, I wouldn't say quite ignored, but definitely placed low on the priority list. And often, we'd run out of time and uh, not get a chance to see Papu's work. But one day, he finally convinced my dad to go check, uh, to check out his work. He convinced my dad to go check out his work, and they did. And they found out that Papu had over 500 groups started and had already started baptizing people. All started with men and women and this community that circled around this trash heap that he called his home. Papu was more effective than most seminary-trained leadership was, and he didn't even know how to read. But he was obedient to the Lord and faithful in fulfilling the Great Commission. And God saw him and blessed his works. And by his example, I and others like me are humbled. Now today, Papu sits at the table with ministry leaders and he has worked his way up, taught himself how to read, learned so many things, and got to the point where he was able to buy a house. And he bought a house whose back wall like, is right above the area where that trash heap is. Because he wanted to be able to look out of his back window, his office window, and see that trash heap to remind him that those are his people, and those are the people that God has called him to, to reach. It's amazing what God can do with one person. A person that we would never have passed a church planter assessment, but passed God's assessment. You see, I'm reminded of the story of David, right? When, David, when God sent the prophet to go and find David, and he looked at all, or to find the next king, basically, and he starts going through the brothers, and he's like, oh, this guy, you know, oh, this guy. And God sits there and says, no, I don't want him, because I'm... I'm don't look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And finally, they had to send for David, the youngest. And David became one of the greatest kings of Israel ever. The one that no one would have picked but God himself. So when we're doing leadership development, we have to develop systems by which we do not prejudge people based on their education or even how they present themselves or how they dress. We determine their ability to lead by their willingness to obey God and to learn as they are obeying and to take on additional responsibilities that come with greater um, levels of obedience to Scripture and a desire to do more for the kingdom of God. 
And it's important that as a leader that I have that posture of service. And so what I've done is I've developed a thing inside my head. When I meet new people, I go, Lord, this is the potential leader of a movement that you may start to reach these, this country. What is your plan and how can I serve you and serve them? Because I've recognized that they are the hero of the story as they serve you not me. My vision, my desire as a leader is to equip them and to equip them well to reach their people so that they would be remembered, God would be glorified and exalted, and I would fade into the distance. You see, my example in that comes from scripture, John the Baptist. John the Baptist sat there and proclaimed it was known and everything else. And then when Jesus came on the scene, he fell into the back because he recognized that the bridegroom must receive the glory. And I love that about John the Baptist. I can't wait to meet him when I get to heaven, because I think that's just an example of what leadership is all about, that we, from the beginning, set things up so that we raise up heroes and we are forgotten by all except for those closest to us and the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, if we follow both these principles, if we recognize that the lost people are the immature, or not the immature, the, the least experienced, um, least developed insider is going to be better than us. If we sit there and recognize that we're not looking for super Christians to be leaders, then that will change how we raise up leaders that will change how we develop these systems, that will change how we approach everyone, will approach them from a position of humility, a position of service, a position of looking for people, and people will be given a chance that no one would have ever been given a chance for to serve, like Papu. Because we no longer have a type that we're looking for. And when we do that, we're going to set ourselves up so that we don't face burnout because now it's not all about me and what I can do and the fact that I'm the greatest and everyone's hinging everything upon what I say and what I do. Now it's all about helping others and equipping others and everything hinges upon what they do as they serve the Lord and I'm there to help them. And I can't imagine anything more freeing. As I wrap up, I want to share with you just very quickly what my vision is for my end of days. Okay, I don't know if you ever spend time thinking about how you want to end your life, but I want to share with you a vision of what I hope uh, my life will be like in the end. I want to be in my 70s or 80s, still able to move around, but I might have a cane. I don't know. You know, just a kind old man. And I want there to be a gathering of disciple makers that's coming together that uh, are connected with people that I've raised up, maybe even with contagious disciple making, which by that time I probably won't lead because I need to turn it over into the hands of much more capable and younger people, the next generation to carry it forward. And I want to arrive at that gathering place early and meet the custodian dressed in normal clothes and help them put out the chairs. And I want to put one chair against the back wall for me. And I want to sit in that chair and lean back against that wall and have my cane right there across my lap. 
And I want to sit there and listen to all the stories of how God worked through incredible men and women that no one would have ever picked but him. And how he brought himself glory. And how so many are in the kingdom as a result of him working through them. And I want to be satisfied with their stories and recognize that I was a part of that fruit. And I want to sit there and have a smile on my face as I listen to it and not expect to be brought up in front of anyone or have anyone recognize who I am. I'm just an old man sitting in the back of a room praising God that I was involved in his work. And these people are the fruit of his blessing meeting my obedience. That's all I want. And so I hope that as you're listening to this, it's challenging your understanding of leadership. Because if you got into movement to become famous, you're going to be disappointed. And eventually you might even burn out and fail in a big way that's going to cause a lot of heartbreak. But if you got into movement to make God famous and to serve his people, both the lost and the saved, and help them become the heroes in God's story to accomplish his purpose, then maybe you can die 100% satisfied with how you lived. You know, you've been listening to the Contagious Disciple Making Podcast. And I'm just Paul Watson. And I may have started this organization, but I understand that I serve because of Jesus Christ and I serve for his glory alone. And I'm so glad that you and I can talk together. If you like this podcast, I would love it if you go to iTunes or wherever you listen to it, downloaded it, that you would give us a five-star review and write a couple of sentences about how it touched your life. Because that encourages us to continue to go and to share the things that God is speaking to us as we're making disciples. Your support is huge, and you rating this and liking it helps us to get the word out to other people. If you haven't had a chance to download our app yet, I'd encourage you to do it. Go to the iTunes store or the Android store, type in the uh, Contagious Disciple Making app or Contagious Disciple Making or the CDM app, and, it, and you'll be able to find it. And you download it, and you'll find a library of podcasts and a library of articles that have been written and a whole lot of resources that will help you as you serve God to see movements happen in your area and the lost come to know him and create an environment where eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord until he returns. And so uh, thanks, thanks for listening. And until next time, go and make disciples. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast and supporting us on Patreon. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com or download the Contagious Disciple Making app. Join us in the journey of becoming world-changing disciple makers.